chapter 24. Last week, we considered just two verses, verse 11 and 12, and I've often said, you know, that most of the time nobody gets more out of a message than the preacher does. If he doesn't get anything out of it, he probably shouldn't preach it. But uh, last week especially really spoke to my heart. It had to do with the inexcusable sin of indifference. The inexcusable sin of indifference. What a, uh, what a horrible thing that is to think that we could be indifferent to the needs of those around us. Well, tonight we're going to look at verse 13 and 14 and probably... Uh, probably we will get on beyond that and maybe even down through verse 18. But here in these next two verses, it has to do with the need for zeal in pursuing wisdom. Now, you know, you almost could use that title for any part of the book of Proverbs because that's basically what Proverbs is all about, showing us our need for wisdom and it sets forth a contrast between wisdom and folly. But as important as it is, the sad thing is a lot of folks don't really see the importance of wisdom. And uh, so hopefully this will be a challenge to each of us. Verse 13 and 14, My son, eat thou honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. And so shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. So here we find wisdom being compared to, uh, to honey. And, uh, you know, you stop and think about uh, the, the way the word honey is used in the Bible, and the Lord talked about sending his people to the land that was flowing with milk and honey. And so it had to do with the most choice product in the land of Canaan. So, you know, that makes it significant in and of itself. Because if you wanted to describe how prosperous a land was, you thought about it in terms of honey, a land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, this is one of the main foods of the Orientals. And, and naturally, I don't need to tell you, it was pleasant to the taste. But it was also nutritious and, and, and commonly used for children's food, especially at the, at the be beginning and, and so forth. But a lot of people have attributed healing powers to it and even do so today. You, you can't believe everything you read if you'd read some of the advertisements that you see maybe on Facebook or in a magazine and, and, and these people that are, you know, selling organic honey and boy, that's great stuff, by the way. I, I'm not speaking against it, but there are some people have you to believe that, you know, that that is, uh, that is a cure-all for absolutely anything that ails you. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's not that, but it is a tremendous food that God has placed upon this earth. In, 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 in Psalms 19 and verse 10, you don't need to turn there. I'm just making a reference to that. The Lord tells us there that the law of the Lord is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Now, you know, you read that and you think to yourself, had that said the gospel 
is sweet, uh, sweeter than the, the you know the honeycomb. We'd all agree with that, isn't it? What a treasure we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there's absolutely nothing like that. But but notice it's said there that the law of the Lord is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. I've got to tell you, and, and it uses the word judgments, the judgments of the Lord. And, and in, in that section, it uses several different words in reference to the word of God. But I've got to tell you, I don't know many folks that attach that much importance or that great of value on the law. Most people, you know, think about the Old Testament and so forth, and the, uh, especially the law that we use as a covenant between God and Israel. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, well that that's history. That's you know, that's 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 not really important today, but it actually is important today. The thing that makes the law so very important is because you don't know what to do with the gospel until you realize that you have violated the law. In other words, a person has to know they're a sinner before they'll ever get saved. And it's one thing to tell people, you know, well, you want to go to heaven? Well, of course, everybody does. Nobody wants to go to hell. Well, you know, all, all you got to do is just ask Jesus to come into your heart and, and, and I'm telling you, you can persuade people to make a profession of faith when they've never comprehended the fact that I am a sinner in the sight of God and, and, and only the sacrifice of Christ can suffice for my sins. So that makes the law of great importance. Um, you, th you think about God's Word as a whole, for example, and it often makes reference to that in the and how it profits us. Uh, generally, when you think about the law and the judgments of God and the principles of God and so forth, you, you generally think about words of instruction. You know, God's telling us what to do, or in some cases, what not to do, but it's instruction. But there's also great inspiration in the Word of God, and we need inspiration sometimes, sometimes more than we need instruction. Because there's some folks, you know, that already know what to do, but they lack the inspiration to put it into practice, and we need both of those. And what the writer is telling us here is, is what honey is to the body, wisdom is to the soul. And, and I think the best way to describe it, it would be to say it is good, and it's good for you. It's good, and it's good for you. I, whenever we uh, first moved here... Uh, and I'd already uh, I'd already uh, learned about ponchos because years ago in preaching in Garland, Texas, I had a couple of preacher friends from North Carolina, and I'd meet them there every year, and they wanted to go to ponchos every year. So instead of eating with all of the other preachers, we'd get away and go to ponchos. Now, I don't eat at ponchos very much anymore. I, I, I found, I think, some better places. But boy, when it comes down to dessert time, wow, I'm, I'm telling you what, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? What do you call those things? Sofapillas, yeah. <laughs> and boy, you, you take, take that thing of honey and just squirt it full of honey. Oh my land, it's good. But it's not just good, honey is actually good for you. The whole point of this is if we could just get people to see the value of wisdom. 
And, and sadly, you know, a, a, a lot of people don't don't really put it very high on their list, and uh, uh, they don't consider it to be all that important. For example, when you think about the Bible talking about wisdom, it says seek it like like you would after gold or precious stone or silver. And 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 I I can almost bet you tonight that it, as soon as you came in, you were seated, and I said, okay. Somewhere in the auditorium, taped to the bottom of one of the chairs here, is a thousand dollars, and whoever finds it first, they get it. <laughs> We'd probably have this place tore apart. People turning over chairs looking for that money. You know, you, you couldn't blame people for that, right? But the whole thing is, what we do in life, I've noticed, is that we spend our time seeking after things that are of far less value rather than giving ourselves to the pursuit of things that, are, that ultimately are going to be of eternal value. Now, notice verse 14, because it's telling us why we ought to seek wisdom. And, uh, and if we can understand this, it'll encourage us to do that. It says, there shall be a reward, thy expectation shall not be cut off. It'd be absolutely impossible for me, even if I knew all of the benefits, I could not list all of the benefits of wisdom. So, you know, instead of trying to compile a list uh, of all of the great benefits of gaining wisdom, maybe the best thing for us to do would be to compare the lives of those who have wisdom with, uh, with the lives of those who don't. You look back over the years, and you know, and I was thinking tonight, and I asked Brother Scott if he knew a fellow by the name of Leonard Young. He was a dear friend of mine, and you know, everybody's known for something. But back then, years ago, you could ask nearly any preacher in Kentucky and uh, in western part of Tennessee and so forth, uh, uh, who's the wisest preacher you know? And I think just about all of them said, Leonard Young, that man has got more wisdom than anybody I ever met. And uh, and it would be a wonderful thing if we were known for our wisdom. You know, we put too much emphasis sometimes on things that are of far less importance than that. Somebody that can preach well, somebody that can sing well, somebody that can do this or they can do that. Uh, But what we really need is wisdom and and notice he says for those that gain wisdom there shall be a reward and you look at the lives of those compare the lives of those who have it with those who don't and boy it's really too easy easy to see the need for it then amen because every one of you can think of somebody that you know that lacked wisdom and they made shipwreck out of their life they had the same opportunities that you did Uh, maybe they had the same amount of education. Everything was there for them to be successful, and yet they ruined their life simply because they lacked wisdom. There is great reward in gaining wisdom, but but notice he doesn't stop there. He says, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. That has to do with our hope, our expectation. It shall not be cut off. That's his way of saying, if you gain wisdom, you're not going to be, be disappointed. 
You're not going to have your hopes dashed to pieces. In other words, your hopes, your desires, your dreams will be brought to fruition as a result of wisdom. It's one thing to just sit back and, and hope things are going to turn out good. It's another thing to have the wisdom to know how to make things turn out good. Brother John runs a company, and he, he could tell you better than I could uh, about the fact that if the company is going to be successful, it's going to require wisdom. Somebody's got to make decisions. Is this going to work? I mean, you just can't call in X number of employees and, and after they get there decide who's going to do what, you know, and uh, you, you can't operate like that. You've got to have an organization. You've got to uh, delegate authority to different ones within that organization. It takes a lot of wisdom to know how to do what you do. That's what wisdom is all about. It's not just having knowledge, but it's the ability to use the knowledge you have for the best possible result. And he says, in gaining wisdom, your expectations shall not be cut off. Uh, no doubt we can all think of some instance in our life where we had a dream, a desire. There was something, and I'm talking about something good now. I'm not talking about that idea well, I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30, and I didn't make it, so I, my dream never come true. That's what, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that was a legitimate desire, something that was good, and, and you wanted that. Maybe you wanted that more than anything else, and, 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 and yet, and yet because of some foolish decisions on your part, you lost out on that. And had you at that point in time had the wisdom that you do now or the wisdom that you needed, those dreams would have come true. That's, that's what he's doing, trying to get us to see the value of wisdom. It has a reward and your hopes will not be dashed to pieces. Now let's look at the next uh, three verses, three or four, because here's a... In this section here, it, it has to do with a warning against wickedness. And uh, he says, Lay not wait a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. Now, history proves that there are a lot of people that hate those that are righteous. And this picture here is of someone that is, that is lying in wait to surprise them and to rob them. But notice, here's the, to me, the key. They're going to rob them in their homes. You know, it's bad enough to get robbed along the highway. That, that'd be horrible, you know, lose your, all of your credit cards or <laughs> if you've got any money and lose what you have. But, but to get robbed out there, that's one thing. But boy, when they invade your privacy, your place of shelter, your safe resting place. And I can remember several years ago, I was in preaching in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, uh, uh, and in fact, it was sitting on the presbyter that night for an ordination. They called me out of the choir loft, said I had an emergency phone call. And it was Bev. And uh, they had been to church, come back home, and uh, said, we've been robbed. We've been robbed, and we lost. Uh, well, you've heard the story before. I won't go into detail. But whenever I, whenever I finally got back home and I walked in there and I looked at those places and I thought, there, there, there's something about knowing that somebody's been in my stuff. 
I mean, that hurts worse than a black eye to me. I, really, I, just to know, they came into my home. And that's what it's talking about here. Those that are wicked and they hate the righteous, they rob them and they do it in their home. Now notice verse number 16, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. So notice he's still talking about those that are wicked. They rob other people. Now most of the time we use this word falleth here in regards to sin, a moral failure on the, on the part of someone. And, 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 and by the way, I think that we can, you know, we can do that. A just man falleth. We're not perfect. We're going to fall. And whenever we do, even seven times, we rise up again. If we're Christians, the Lord raises us up. But keep this with the context. That's always important when you study your Bible. Stay with the context. Well, in the context there, I think it'd be more appropriate to think of it in the sense of a calamity. You've been robbed in your home by a wicked man. And whenever, whenever you take it in that sense, the point becomes this, that repeated bad experiences falls Repeated bad experiences do not result in the total ruin of a just man. You know, God has a way of restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. God has a way of rewarding us when we do what is right. Uh, It is too personal for me to tell you the whole story uh, about us being robbed uh, there, I, and I, I can't do that. But believe you me, after I found out who all was involved in that, it could have literally eaten me up for the rest of my life. And, uh, and it's real easy to say, you know, I've gotten over that. I'm not bitter anymore. Yeah, I've lied too. And you find out a year or two down the road, I'm still bitter about that. Now, the point I'm trying to make is that even though we lost those things, that first ring I ever bought, Bev, the ring Mom and Dad bought me, the railroad watch Dad got me, all all of the different stuff like that. You know, I look at what I've got today. It's all right. I wasn't going to take any of that stuff to heaven anyway. You know, and, and, and boy, God has blessed me. I think that's what he's saying here. But keep in mind, that's not the case with the wicked. The just man falleth. He's taken advantage of. He gets hurt. He, uh, you know, suffered some injustice even seven times over and over and over. It's happened to him, but it doesn't utterly destroy him. The Lord lifts him up and the Lord keeps him going. But let me tell you, that's not true of the wicked man. The wicked, notice, shall fall into mischief. Their wickedness prevents God from aiding them in their time of trouble, and ultimately it results in their ruin. Now, verse number 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Now, I don't know if you're making the connection or not. I hope you are between these verses. Verse 15 and verse 16 connects. Verse 16, verse 17 connects. He's just talked about the fall now of the wicked person that would take advantage of you, 
Notice, rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Now, you know, we need that warning because of the fact that we tend to delight in the downfall of our enemies. If you know me, you know that I have admitted it over and over and over that all through my life I've not only had a problem with, with temper, uh, but, uh, but this attitude of I'm going to get you before you get me. You hurt me or you hurt my loved ones, you're going to pay. And, and, and if it wasn't for the fact that God has helped me to do that, I'd be like one preacher friend of mine up there in Cincinnati got in a fist fight out in the parking lot. I mean, they went to Fist City right out there, all because he couldn't control his temper. I'm thankful that God enabled me to do that. But there have been so many times I've had to struggle with those feelings of, I hope you get what you deserve. You know, you dirty, rotten rascal. I, that's why I said I, sometimes I feel like the dirty, hairy of preachers, you know, and make my day. Uh, it's, it's real easy, isn't it, for us to get in the flesh and wish ill upon those that have mistreated us. And, and, and the Lord's trying to get us to see that's not right. Don't be glad whenever they stumble. Now, if you've read your Bible, you know this subject is more complex than what it appears. And I say that because as you read on in the Bible, you see there are many verses where God's people rejoiced over the downfall of their enemies. In fact, several of the Psalms are associated with, with joy in regards to the destruction of the wicked people. So, how can we reconcile that with this prohibition to rejoice not when thine enemy falleth? How, how do we, how do we, how do we connect that? How do, how do we make sense out of that? And some people tell you the Bible contradicts itself, but it really doesn't. But you look in the Bible and you see what the Lord said in Matthew. He said, we're to love our enemies. So if we're to love our enemies, how can we rejoice when they fall? To understand that, you have to realize there is a difference. A difference between rejoicing because of the relief that comes when an enemy is defeated and rejoicing over their plight. Are you with me? In other words, let me give you an example. Whenever we think about a nation rejoicing because the war has ended in victory and we rejoice, right? But if our heart is right with God, we don't rejoice over the fact that the losers suffered horribly in their loss. There's nothing funny about that. And, and those that walk away from war, and let me tell you, that's a very real possibility with people because whenever you've been there in the trenches and you can ask those people that were in Vietnam or World War II or Korea and those places, and they, they've seen the horrible injustices against our people, and, and that has crippled them, some of them, for life. They become bitter, angry at, at those people. And... Uh, and as a Christian, that's not the right attitude. They are human beings that God loves. 
as wicked, as vile as they are, when Christ died on the cross, he tasted death for every man, the Bible says. And, and we ought not to rejoice over their suffering. We rejoice in that their sinfulness has been put to a stop. Absolutely. But we don't rejoice because they are hurt in the process. Well, how serious is this matter? Look at verse 18, and this ends our study tonight because this answers the question about how serious it is. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. Well, you better believe the Lord does see it whenever we rejoice over the suffering of our enemies and the Lord's looking at that and I, I don't know, it's just like I said, it's kind of like the Lord thinking to himself, you know, I gave my son to die for that person, and they are lost. Nobody ever told them about Christ, and they are lost, and, 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 and you are taking delight in their suffering, and, and it, it offends God. Old Matthew Henry, maybe the most popular commentary ever, but he made a statement, and I jotted it down because it just really fit in with this. And with this I close. He said, The righteousness of God was never intended to gratify the wrath of man and humor his foolish passions. Rather than seem to do that, he will adjourn the execution of his wrath. Nay, it is implied here in this verse that when he turns his wrath from him, he will turn it against thee, and the cup of trembling shall be put into thy hand. Now, let that sink in. Notice again what Solomon said, lest the Lord see it and it displease him. And what happens? And he turned away his wrath from him. He has been suffering and God sees you rejoicing in his suffering and the Lord stops what he's doing with that person perhaps and gives you a taste of your own medicine. God's not playing games. He's serious about that. We better be careful how we treat our friends and our enemies because they all matter to God. Thank you so much for being here. Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in verse number 19 and we'll continue on in our journey. Any final word, announcement, or anything that maybe I've overlooked uh, before we pack up and hit the road? Brother John? No, it wasn't. No, we had 310 uh, Sunday, but we had... Uh, the year before, we had uh, 380-something or 390-something. It was almost 400 the year before. So we, we, were, we were down from that. But, but thank the Lord we had two saved and another come for baptism afterwards. So, wow. Pray for the Awana Clubs. They're over there meeting. Brother Kenneth and his class, of course, there. Their meeting, pray for all of those teens and everybody involved there. All right, let's all stand together and we're going to be dismissed with a word of prayer. Be sure and shake somebody's hand. Tell them you love them. Good to be here tonight. Brother Brock. Father, give us the opportunity to be back in your house. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings.
for the word, dear Lord. We pray to Heavenly Father that we'll just open our hearts and our lives, dear Lord, and just use the word and just help us to grow closer to Thee, dear Heavenly Father. Lord, now I pray that you just keep us safe, dear Heavenly Father, and just bring us safely back in, in Thy home. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.